This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Hetler. With me today in the studio and live streaming on our Facebook group, the Short Code Student Lounge, it's M2 Nicole Hines. Hey. Uh, MD-PhD student Miranda Skeen is here. Hello. Another MD-PhD student, Aline Sanduk, is here. Hi. And another MD-PhD student, uh, <laughs> Riley Behan. Ba- oh my gosh, uh, we just talked about this. Okay. <laughs> For 10 minutes. Behan. Behan. Please, Behan. Behan. I'll respond. <laughs> just being Riley. I'm like the worst. Hey. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you that you have finally joined us. You've just progressed into your PhD phase. I have. I've oh my graduated gosh, have? Oh. from med school. Not actually. I've graduated from the first two years. I say I finished medical school for now. It's, it's <laughs> weird to have a class below me that's now in the PhD phase because I still feel like I just transitioned. It's also weird to be our class. Is it? Helps. Oh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> What's your story, Riley? Tell us who is who who is Riley Behar? <laughs> Riley B. Not Joy Behar, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Riley Dave, Behar. Just see, went the, through this. The thing is, the thing is, I looked her when I when, <laughs> when I looked her up this morning. For some reason, all morning, it's been in my head that her name was Riley Behar, and I was going to make this elaborate joke about how she was, you know, Joy. Joy Behar's niece and you know yeah. what it might be like for her to go to the family reunion and all this kind of stuff. Wait, anyway, do, do uh, people very, know who Joy Yeah, I was going to say that's a matter. very relatable joke <laughs> to our core <laughs> demographic, matter. I'm sure. It literally <laughs> doesn't matter now. <laughs> because Riley ruined it. By this not is being, my I she ruined it by being born with the name that the show. I don't know where the R came okay. from in your mind. I don't know either. Yeah, that's right. The end a little bit less. I feel, like, I feel yeah. like I have to go back and look at the database and 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 like there's an error there that I that I caught. I I think you but might I, just have bad handwriting. I, I think I it's think, probably a simpler explanation. I think maybe. Yeah. Okay, one thing I will say. I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but sometimes my iPhone will misspell people's names. And it's so subtle that I don't even notice it for years. So for example, I have someone, a friend in my my phone list, last name is Brock, and for the longest time it was listed as Brooks. Oh, yeah. And I was like, all right. So I wonder if that's what you did. I don't know. I did not. It was it had nothing to do with my iPhone. I just gave you an out. You I just can't just imagine that <laughs> Behar is the more common version. Yeah, like be. it would not autocorrect to that. Then, then being... Oh Please say her last name in a different way every time. Let's just keep this gag going. God, I'm the worst. Yes. Um, so what's your story? Anyway, Riley? tell us what your story is. My story. It's a great, great question. So I'm from Davenport, Iowa, originally born and raised in Iowa. And then I went to Iowa State University. Go Cyclones. Ooh. 
sentence. I always like to make sure that I say it. Perfunctory but... boo. <laughs> yeah. Contractually obligated negging. Are you going to be one of those people like whenever the Hot game happens, you'd be like, my team won no matter what. I'm going to go ahead and stick to my Cyclones. I will say that for sports, I am solely on the Cyclones side. Sorry for all the Iowa fans. I love Iowa. I'm an Iowa person. But so I went to Iowa State University. I majored in materials engineering, which Ooh. is a whole separate topic in and of itself. That's cool. Funky. I, it is cool. Yeah. Heard about steel a lot. I don't uh-huh. remember a lot of it. But it's been she pushed out to... by a lot of other things since then. But yeah. She, yeah. I don't blame you. Learned a lot of other things since then. And so did that. And then at Iowa State, I also played on the soccer team. So I've got a whole host of stories and experiences from soccer. After Iowa State, I um, applied to medical school and I ended up here at the University of Iowa for the MD PhD program because why choose one when you can choose both? <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you chose whatever you chose. Doesn't matter. I'm happy that you chose. Happy that I chose as well. So it occurred to me, it's been occurring to me lately, as I look back at the last year, what the f*** was that all about? And I, I say this because it all seems so unreal how anxious I was at this time last summer and how angry I was at how people were reacting to everything. Yeah. But specifically for me, the pandemic, which I saw as a personally existential threat. And now I'm like... I'm feeling ever so much better. Yeah. And it's just such a, I don't know. Yeah. Like looking back on some, you know how Facebook has those like memories. Oh, I yeah. had a couple of things that I shared that I'm looking back being like, that's not even like a little bit relevant anymore. Like I had one that's like, I hope like, it's not relevant. like back when COVID was still localized to China, I shared one where it was talking about, do you, do I have coronavirus? And it's, have you been to Wuhan, China in the last 14 days? And it's no, you don't have coronavirus. And I was just looking back and like going, damn. Okay. Were that's you? no longer applicable. <laughs> was, that, was that meme on the ever on the wrong side yeah Mm -hmm. i mean at the time it was true that was in like february like at the time it was very true because people were doing a whole lot of racism about asian people because of that was it though was it still contained there was it it, spread more than retrospect it wasn't but we didn't know about the u.s cases yet do we know do we know still like that was before we saw local transmission outside of china Mm -hmm. like yeah. It was before that. Th- things happened very quickly. It was yeah. really yeah. hard to keep track. There yeah, was, it was like, like some one new... day turnaround of, nope, can't go outside anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. which exactly. is weird. Yeah. It's weird to think of the time where they weren't telling us to wear masks. It was a no mask. You don't need them. Yeah. And then That's it right. was just like one day they're like, nope, we take it all back. You got to wear them and you got to wear them right now and you got to wear them everywhere. Yeah. And it was so wild to think that there yeah. was a time where they were like, oh, masks they don't work. Yeah. yeah. I think of the chaos that that time caused yes. once once they switched over because people clung on to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it just it led to a lot of and this is in no way like the people running its fault because these things evolve how they evolve like our knowledge did not happen all at once. It came in waves. But I think that initial confusion and people actually seeing how these processes happen led to a lot not directly a lot of other things happened as well with certain political figures but that also i think led to a lot of where the anti-masker people came from where they were like the guidelines are changing so often you guys are just making this up at this point and like to a certain i mean i feel like i feel like the response to that would be we kind of are yeah we kind of are someone's got to make up the guidelines it's hard to explain to people that science changes so quickly yeah when i mean i'm not saying it's a good argument i'm just saying that if you're not literate in the sciences like if you didn't have good education i could see where they're coming from where it's you expect 
expect experts and people at the top to always know what they're doing and it's no like we go by what the data tells us we don't have any so yeah (laughs) there was a really good meme at one point of some politician i think saying like you know this is crazy we need an end date to all of this and then someone responded saying like so you want to talk to covid's manager (laughs) (laughs) we don't know when this is going to be over i i want an end date that's amazing yeah exactly if you have a prototype time machine i'd love to hear about it because that would be great to know when the end date is for me And for a lot of other Americans, the threat wasn't just of disease, but it was an economic threat Mm -hmm. as well. Totally. And, you know, like looking back, of course, it now seems overblown, the economic situation. I mean, not in the sense Um, that, okay, let me put that a better way. Yeah. Looking back for me personally, it seems overblown. Sure. Yeah, it depends on the person. Yeah, and I was going to say, but it also like, depends on it, it depends on your industry. But that's irrelevant. What was relevant at the time was how I could be out of a job, how my wife could be out of a job, how we could mm-hmm. lose everything. And a lot of Americans felt that way. Now, yeah, and a lot of people did lose everything. They did. Now it's so interesting to me that employers are like they're seeking to rehire workers now yeah. because the pandemic is over. Hooray. Okay. But the, the pandemic is under some kind of, kind of control. Hooray! Please. And they're puzzled as to why people don't want to work for them anymore. To, to me, this is a bit hilarious. You know, I think what it, I mean, obviously, I don't know, for me, it comes down to the lack of engagement most people feel with their work. And why should I go back well, to something that I things. don't, that I don't feel engaged in? May I say or something? Or pays me shit or yeah. that. Because I want to share something and I'm going to publicly trash a Colorado senator because I hate the House representative. Okay. Member of the House of Representatives. We can do that. I don't like this guy. But it's relevant to the discussion. So I am on his email list because I've sent him emails before. And There's your problem. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I just, I'm signing up for things that are going to make me angry. I don't know. This is how I exist in the world. But he sent out something in responses because it's in a lot of restaurant workers as well where Mm -hmm. like restaurants are struggling to rehire. And he was talking about how like all of these, you know, lazy people, like he's, he was talking about cutting COVID benefits and it's, we're just encouraging people to like be lazy and collect checks from the government when they should be out working. And it's like, Doug, 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 Doug. If, cool, 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 if, cool, cool. Interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting like if you can uh, make more money doing nothing than you can by going to your job, maybe the solution is to pay people more yeah. so that they can actually make a living at their job. Because it's not like we're giving them mansions, right? It's being yeah. on assistance enough to survive. Food. Yeah. yeah, exactly. For it's like bare necessities. Yeah, like exactly. if I can make yeah. the exact same amount doing nothing where I could also potentially be working on something else to better myself or going to my soul-sucking restaurant job and I'm making the same money. Like, it's just logical to not do the restaurant job. So I feel like there's a solution here, which is raise the minimum wage, pay people more. That's just my argument. I don't know. For, sorry, go ahead. I'm curious. Did anybody else pay attention to, like, meat processing plants oh, early absolutely. on? Yeah. Okay, so oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in Marshalltown, which has JBS Swift, which is a pretty... Actually, I don't know the size comparatively. And my dad is a structural engineer, so he does designs for different processing plants, including the one in Marshalltown, some work for Tyson. So early on, I was like, okay, you go into these places to assess them. Are you seeing what they're doing to protect their workers? And he's like, well, yeah, at this point, they've put up some plastic shower curtains. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, this is coming. And of course, it came. But it started raising all those questions of... So my husband was able to start working from home, works at a small accounting firm, and they were able to provide everybody 
computers and setups. Then there are jobs that you literally can't do from home. I mean, people working in the lab un- understand that. Yeah, that there's yep. jobs there's, that there's things you gotta be in there and get in there with yeah, your hands. Literally and do can't things. be done on a computer. Yeah, but thinking of the people working at the processing plants, they typically don't have expendable incomes, like large amounts of savings. And then on top of that, not great health care, mm-hmm. not great preventative care. And so you're talking about people who are more susceptible to COVID, don't have the ability to stay home for work, and then they have to stay out there exposing themselves. And then they're torn. Do I live with family members who are susceptible? Mm-hmm. Do I continue providing money or do I threaten them with this virus? And like, how and do people make those there decisions? Were so many, well, there were so many choices that were that people were forced to make by mm-hmm. their employers because of COVID mm-hmm. yeah. where they had no agency. They had no. And I don't know if that's improved at this point, but I know that people are looking for more engagement in their work or they're just going to sit it out for now if, if they can afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to switch yeah. uh, industries or... If they can. So if, if they, they can. can. To add to everything Nicole said, rightly so, I think the other thing is that meatpacking work has exceptional occupational hazards. Mm-hmm. Like people get yeah. injured oh, and, yeah. like, and maimed injured. On top of bad health insurance and things like that. People move to Marshalltown to work there. Yeah. Like it's a stable job and it it draws people. But like you said, do they have the option to just go to another industry? If you move your family there for the job. You're going to have to move your whole life to somewhere else to go to a different Marshalltown doesn't have a bunch of options. And the, the lawsuits that came out afterwards, I think there was one against Tyson and they were like hiding numbers. Yeah. And there were a lot of, I think some of the first cases in Iowa were at these It, it was huge. Yeah, right? I remember yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Where it's, it was those workers that had it first and then it spread out from there. For physicians, a whole different group of people. Right. Yeah. This is a medical industry. podcast. <laughs> well, it's all relevant. A 2018 Gallup poll found, found that only 30% of U.S. workers feel engaged in their work. So that was 2018. Wow. I can only imagine yeah. that number has gone in, in the downward direction Ooh. since then. Most people don't see themselves as partners in success but as yeah. hired hands yeah and i think that it, for many people in many industries is the problem setting aside issues Can of I, set, setting aside purely economic issues of pay and insurance and all that kind of stuff in addition to all that people feel like they're cogs and why would anybody stay why would anybody feel loyalty to a position where they feel like cogs now this past february Jackson Physician Search released a survey of 485 physicians and administrators, and they found that 70% of healthcare administrators report having an employee retention program for physicians. 17% of physicians agreed. So less than a fifth agreed to participate in this no, program. No, less than a fifth agreed that there was an employee retention program. So is that... So they had what no is idea... Em- what is an employee retention program? Anything that seeks to recoup the investment that an employer makes in their employees by making it easy for them to stay. But this includes and make like it agreeable stuff? for yes, yeah. retirement okay. stuff, benefits, benefits okay. flexibility, avenues for promotion, anything that makes it viable for that employee to stay in the long term. Uh, a third of physicians receive no formal orientation at the start of their employment, so they're left to struggle through the early months of their job. Uh, in the first three to five wow. years of service no engagement. No orientation to a new, like, 
right yeah. institution yeah okay that's bonkers yeah like let alone is, like a new system of patient yeah, yeah uh, not, documentation. To, not to mention potentially like a new emr and a new way to actually document and log everything yeah like, never to, mind all the hr stuff like your oh, benefits yeah. and like how to submit your i9 for to get paid yeah. right like where to go like yeah. where do you put your stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like all of them. Um, the we microwave. Could, we could spend the entire show talking about all the things that happen at an orientation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the first three to five years of service, engagement in uh, for physicians drops to its lowest level, coinciding with the time that many doctors start seeking their next position. Interesting. Sixty-nine percent of feel, physicians feel disengaged. Thirty percent of administrators report losing physicians during the pandemic. And the question to consider right now is whether these survey results suggest that there is ahead of us either an exit from healthcare or a mass shift of physicians from low engagement jobs to higher engagement positions, whether that has already begun. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. You know, these days, only half of physicians work in private practice and the others work in settings where they might be more likely to see themselves as employees as opposed to partners. Sure. Yeah. And in a post-pandemic world, if that's what we're in, a lot of people, including doctors, learned what their employees uh, really saw them as. Their employers. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to say, where it's like the pandemic definitely exposed a lot of the like a lot of employers priorities where it's like there. And in some ways, I have a hard time blaming like smaller businesses for this because like businesses that are already struggling to survive because like we live in a college town, there's small businesses everywhere. And those people were really hard hit, but especially like larger companies that would have been fine, like how they treated their employees and how little time they spent, how low of a priority employee safety was over continuing to make profit was like, I think eye opening for a lot of people, including myself. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I know just from being alive is that you learn more from people when times are, you learn more about the people when times are bad. People show their true colors under duress. It's a lot harder to maintain the mask when they're under pressure. So all these companies, all these hospitals, all these organizations that are like, oh, we're a big family. Yeah, not so much. Let me tell you, I have a lot of opinions about this. This is the part part I edit out of the podcast. It won't be bad. It won't be. Oh, wait. Can we, if you're editing it out, can we curse? Shit. Fuck. <laughs> Bollocks. We just got banned. Um, um, live Bollocks? Stream. Yeah. <laughs> Bollocks is your cuss word. I watched Monty Python a while back. I've got British slang in my head. Leave me alone. Okay. Um, so here's a silver lining to like everything you're talking about here. I think one of the positives of the pandemic is that a lot of people realized how much power they actually have as employees. And it's unfortunate to realize that you are just a cog in the machine. Since you're operating with an organization, an institution that's looking at this relationship from a money standpoint, so should you. And I think people finally had the freedom and the motivation to do that. And a lot of employee employment culture, I should say, is now the, the power imbalance is shifting. And a lot of people are having trouble recruiting because beyond having feeling more comfortable with the agency, the other thing is a lot of people in the pandemic realize they can live with a lot of the stuff that they used to spend their money on. Mm-hmm. A lot of people saved money during the pandemic and probably have a little, and not everyone, obviously this hurt a lot of people. But I think some people are realizing that they saved a lot of money. They don't need a lot of the material possessions they would have spent their money on. So they're now learning, are going to continue not living with those things. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a bad thing for people yeah. to be like, yeah, I'll work for you, but you're going to have to give me, because yeah. that's and what the company is thinking, but they're not being transparent with you about that. But now we really know what that's like. Yeah. And I think there's an element to which people started, what have been rating is that people have been realizing how much having that time off really meant to them. 
So people are starting to prioritize like, oh, wait, I don't actually want to work 12 hour days because yeah. when I didn't work that my life improved substantially. Again, not universal. A lot of people's mental health and quality of life went down. But for some people, they realized, wow, with all this free time, I could actually get a good night's sleep and eat healthier and get fit. And you know what it sounds like? More fulfilling. It sounds like a, a breakup from a bad relationship. <laughs> right? Oh my Absolutely gosh, it does. does. Everyone's yeah. afraid to end a bad relationship because they're more afraid of being alone than in this bad relationship. But then you get, sh- everyone got shoved into the deep end and then realized, oh, hey, this isn't so bad, actually. Yeah. I don't have to be in a bad relationship ever again, really. Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show. And the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to the shortcodes at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. My question then is, as a future physician, what do you want from your employer? What would it mean? What What do you want from your employer that would mean you're a partner and not just an employee? And I know that I, I think I think if we put our heads together, I think we can come up with ways that even the intern in their first year can feel this way mm-hmm. um, about their employer. I think there's something to be said about an emphasis on wellness that isn't just do wellness. It's here's some time off to do Thank wellness. You. Yeah, like be more like, well. I think now. Do what it. we need is the yeah. employer to actually recognize the employee not as the employee, as a person mm-hmm. outside of the employee. Yeah. That right. the person wants to go on hikes, wants to go on vacations, should go on vacations for the well-being of themselves, their patients that they're treating, and just generally the organization. Yeah. It's so funny because I feel like employers so often are like, let's focus on how to make the best employees while they're at work. Best employees while they're at work are not coming while they're at work. It's what they're doing outside of work. But with that comes giving them time off, which will just inadvertently create better productivity and suddenly they'll get more money yeah that's exactly what i was going to say like even from a cold and calculating standpoint it works out for them too because people who are happy and are more productive and more efficient they just do a better job you're throwing money away by not treating your employees like real people yeah Yeah. and and if you think of healthcare like customer service which in many ways it is like boiling down to that like we are serving our patients as customers if we're talking about it industrially then happier physicians will make better decisions and have better rapport with their patients than stressed, overworked, oh my gosh, why are you here for your kid's runny nose? I have like more important things to deal with. So like actually Mm -hmm. making sure that they can be happy and well and actually take care of all the patients that need them. So something along that line, like first, along with providing the time, take the pressure away that makes people feel like they can't use that time. Yes. Yes. Because so many people, I don't necessarily know about in medicine, but I know so many people who have vacation time, but they just don't use it because they're like, I'll be stressed about the job. Mm -hmm. But it would do so much for you in increasing your wellness and your productivity. Yeah. Yeah. Or or Jerry down the hall didn't use his vacation time. Mm -hmm. And what if he gets the promotion instead of me? Right. There's the yeah, there's that slight thing of is are they going to judge me if I went on this two week vacation? Is somebody looking at me and thinking, oh, you're not working hard enough? Or if, for example, on the medical school side, it's okay if I actually go to bed at 9 p.m. instead of 2 a.m. Is somebody going to look at me and say, you're not working hard enough? You're not actually putting Mm -hmm. the time and effort in. Spending those evening hours cracking the books, girl, do it. Exactly. All make me think of we did we had an ethics assignment and lecture basically on like 
pandemic and what are the institution's employee requirements. And what I was really hoping we would talk about is treating the physicians as people Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that we can't just set one rule for everybody. Yes. Like you have to take into account all the individual things like the hats people wear. The circumstances that they have. Like I understand here we wear a physician's hat, but then if somebody has kids that they need to take care of, if they live with somebody who was at an increased risk, understand that and then don't tell them they're selfish. Don't be mean to them because they are doing that thing. Like, yeah. But there's another component to this that I want to point out before we, before I, I let you have your say, which is that it's also about your fellow employees and how they react Mm -hmm. to your needs Mm -hmm. and responsibilities. And And what an employer needs to do is set the tone and say, first of all, what do you need? mm -hmm. What do you need Mm -hmm. in order to do your job and to do the rest of your life? Okay, now that we've determined, how can we support you you to do that? How can we help you help us, basically? Right, and then (laughs) just be generally open to the rest of the employees and say, this is how it works. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear any office gossip or bullying around this idea that so-and-so does less work than I do because they're not here when I'm here. And that, that kind of attitude... So in our ethics lectures, they were on Zoom. So it's usually like the chat was flying because the lecturer will call on one person to answer it. And he already has a list. So then other people would still kind of like calls in, put in, yeah, they would, they would put in their two cents and the word. So we were talking about what it means to be selfless. And then the word selfish came up and I was like, okay, let's think about COVID specifically. We're talking about the trauma physicians have had to experience and witness throughout this. And if somebody needs to step away for their well-being, but their colleagues are at work shaming them mm-hmm. for stepping away and saying, now I have to do more, that's not going to help the person get better faster and get back. Also, let's point out that the reason those other employees are having to shoulder the workload of this employee who has left is because there's not enough redundancy in the system because mm-hmm. we don't want to pay people Absolutely. to yes. do work. Mm-hmm. Or, or just not having enough, like as many employees as you need to do the job adequately. Yeah. It's this, like we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hire the minimum number of people that we can yeah. because it's more cost effective. Promotions where people get added responsibilities, yeah. but not changes in pay. <laughs> right. Or title. That all, that's also a little trick that right. employers yeah. do. Right. More and this responsibility. Happens, you and this should happens, deserve that. Yeah. You should be happy. You, should be we're happy trust- you have more responsibility. <laughs> that's right. And this yeah. happens yeah. just as much in medicine as it happens anywhere else. Somebody was telling me the other day that, that they wanted to, they've been a physician for many years. They want to go do a fellowship. Mm-hmm. And the employer was and the employer was like, we can't do that, but we can train you for a year. It won't be accredited. We can train you for a year and it'll be sort of like you became board certified and you'll have all these new responsibilities, but we won't pay you anymore. And it's like, what in the that world? Why would you take that it's offer? It's not the same thing. Why would you make that offer? Yeah. And it's interesting to me to talk about this as well, especially in the context of the pandemic, because it occurred to me that talking about workplace issues in healthcare during times of there's a big healthcare crisis is different because it's not because a big conversation during the pandemic was why are you making your employees like come to work when you could afford to like shut down for a bit? 
And it's like healthcare doesn't have that option. You can't just shut down a healthcare system during a pandemic to mm-hmm. let to protect your employees. Like you have to have them come to work. So it's interesting to talk about this because the considerations you have to take into account for an essential service, a quintessentially essential service, are different than some other like employer employee relationships. Because you can't just not have nurses you can't just not have doctors i think the employer also uses that to their advantage which is like oh the train keeps moving do it when the train stops the train won't ever stop it's not going to and so for them it's just there's so many things that we as future doctors and i'm sure current doctors would like to see changed but it becomes so overwhelming when it's these massive systemic changes and i think we're seeing that in a lot of areas other than just like employer employee relationships but these massive systemic changes are just so overwhelming and they take so much time and effort to actually implement that it's paralyzing almost to anybody speaking of large systemic changes i think some of the frustration i only have anecdotal evidence to back this up by the way disclaimer but i think that at least some of that feeling of not being a real partner comes from the fact that when you work at say an academic like a big academic institution and you have a ton of doctors working under this big administrative system you don't really have a ton of say in how that administration works i if I had a nickel for every time a physician has gotten frustrated or gotten angry because they want to do something for a patient and they can't because there's some kind of administrative roadblock either through like their insurance or that they don't have the resources or the time or like they have to go jump through hoops to send them to a specialist. Like mm-hmm. it's so frustrating all the time and they don't have a say in taking those barriers down because a it could a lot of the insurance stuff is just completely out of the hands of the healthcare system. And B, it's not. It's a collaboration but of evil, but it's fine. <laughs> and, and oversimplification for the purposes of our conversation. Yeah. yeah. A collaboration of evil. And also that some of those things are actual public policy that no one has a say in except the people that make the laws. And that's a very frustrating thing to have to deal with. I think part of what you're talking about might be self-determination. Yeah. And the ability to make decisions that you're qualified to make. But that something is preventing but you something from making. Like you something from externally it. you have no control over. Or maybe just it. not knowing you have the power. Just not knowing you have the rights to stand up and say, I don't like working Mm-hmm. for back-to-back 24-hour shifts like I don't want to do that and yeah. I think Sorry. do you really feel like you have that power especially new doctors when you're coming in you're in debt you feel like you have to work and I think that there's something to be said about there is that power dynamic of I don't really want to do this but what other option do I have yeah. do I even have this power that people are saying I have well, to even say something well and this was kind of another thing that I was thinking about was one of the great things about my current situation is that I have a path to make a difference. I'm not told just shut up and do your job. And that a lot of people don't have that. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty important because if you see something that you think you have an answer to, it would be great if your boss, your employers were like, if you see something, I want to know, I want to know what it is. And we're going to talk about it. And you have the op, you have the chance to then use your fire your knowledge to make a positive change to this system. And that's kind of a tough thing to offer people because one of the things that humans like is when things don't change. Uh, Yeah. So it's kind of hard to overcome that inertia. So it would be kind of an ideal thing. They like when the things they like don't change. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But even sometimes things that are like stability, I mean, even sometimes things that are are unpleasant, you know, like, and and you go, we could change that. And then, and the thing's like, well, we can't change that. It's all, this is the way it's always been. We can't do that. Yeah. (sighs) 
so I feel like we're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking yeah. about, you there, know, there's multiple elements to this conversation. Yeah. We're talking, there's a financial component that people realized they have more say over. There's a cultural component that we're now realizing is more important to people than they realize. And the one, so Riley brought up a point that immediately just triggered me when you were talking about. You should apologize for that, Riley. <laughs> no, triggered me positively. It triggered a thought. Because you were talking about young doctors feeling like, what choice do I have? But so the attitude that I'm noticing in a lot of employees now is they're like, what are you going to do? Fire me? And like they're literally calling the bluffs of employers and employers are realizing like, oh, yeah, I'm stuck because yeah, if this person leaves, I can't replace them. They don't even have to live in the place where they're looking for a new job. They can still be here and work somewhere else or get better pay or work at a place with a better culture. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, so. it's, this is a unique advantage that that people in industries like medicine have because they have an opportunity to know their worth. You have to really understand what your worth is. Mm-hmm. You, you do yeah. have to go out and figure out what your worth is because you're not worth just what you get in a paycheck. Who, which one of our f- recent guests, maybe it was uh, Shantanu Nundi or, or maybe somebody like that, basically said, you know, it co- can cost a million bucks to hire some uh, to hire a new physician to replace a new physician mm-hmm. because you've got to you've got to do a search, you've got to you've got to train them, you've got to there's lost productivity while you do the search, all that kind of stuff. All of that adds up. Knowing that is your value, that helps you understand what you can ask your employer for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would add to that is as you're shopping for a new employer, you should be very weary of companies who call themselves a family because yeah 100% right 100% of the companies I and I haven't worked you know for a lot of places but from my experiences and other people's a company that calls itself a family does that so they can exploit you better yeah that's that's code for you're gonna work real hard for the family yeah, yeah. we're gonna yeah. make you work on Christmas we're do it for the family you're gonna us. work real take hard a, for the family a, aren't you exactly <laughs> it's such like the mob it really is it is it yeah. so is I worked yeah. for a large company in my summers she was gonna say she worked for the mafia I did <laughs> the large company is mafia she, she almost yeah. admitted it she backtracked name I, we I call it a large a company we call it a large company it's a large company (laughs) you'll never know what it is i won't ever name it so i did that in engineering and it would be these kind of summer interns that you would really encourage to continue to come back summer after summer and with kind of this end goal of we'll give you a job like that's Mm -hmm. what you will get and yet at the end of these summers these interns who have given now three summers of other opportunities lost wouldn't get jobs at the end of it And these are engineering students that are already going to struggle to find a job somewhere else. And they've just wasted three of their most valuable assets, which is summer internships on one company to just not get a job at that company at the end of the day. And it is just that power dynamic that companies have over their employers to say, yeah, we'll probably hire you. And then they can just not. When the mm-hmm. times change, yeah, always get it in writing. On the, I guess it's a hard lesson to learn. I don't know if it's yeah. a flip side of that, but like, I've noticed how some internships are just so predatory. It's like in that example, they get you to keep coming back. But I know of, I won't say what who they are, what they do, but I knew somebody who went and got an internship, at the, and at the beginning of the summer, they were told, "If you accept a job with us now, before you do your internship." We will send you to Disney World at the end of the summer. What? Oh, my so gosh. They're getting these young people to say, oh, yeah, I'll totally sign with you for the promise of this bonus and this trip. 
And then they're put through just a horrendous summer. And they're like, oh, I need to make a good impression. This is the beginning of it all. And yeah, that's pretty questionable saying yeah. if you take this job now, we'll give you a trip before they <laughs> abuse that's, you that's during your internship. Predatory like, words. I know you could take this as an opportunity to see if working for us will be good for you. But just go in blind. That's, that's a whole new thing. The thing I thought you were going to bring up were unpaid internships. Unpaid and I, I don't know what the payment was for these interns, but it's a large company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's call them Schlamps. And, and it's, it's, well, it's also a company where they have high turnover because they just work employees into the ground yeah. and then they don't Unreal. stay. Unreal. Yeah. Do you think there's a difference when we're talking about this topic of engagement and workplace benefits and how all that plays into retention. Do you think there's a, we should acknowledge the differences between the missions of community hospitals versus academic medical centers? And that's really the two major, for me, that when I think of, you know, hospitals, those are the two major divisions no, I that I think of. I don't know if no, I absolutely agree. I, mean, I suppose and, there's the surgery center, which and, is all different. <laughs> that That's a whole other animal. Yeah, yeah. We're not even going to. Because to me, I, I think you can almost break it down as well into like academic medical center, like large city medical center, and then like smaller rural slash town medical center. Cause, which are often struggling. Yes, which is insane to me. But yeah, that I think is a lot of the breakdown. And I do know... Like when you do your family med rotation and you go around to those medical centers, obviously no job is perfect, but when you go to the smaller rural ones, like the doctors there, they own the whole practice. Like I went to one that had four doctors and they all operated the practice. They were all family med doctors. They were all EM doctors. They all did procedures and they all owned some of the business. Like the business decisions were theirs. And I think to a certain extent that alleviated a lot of the issues we've been talking about of people feeling like they're not in control because it's your business. You can do with your business what you want. If you want to take insurance, reject an insurance do whatever you get to make that decision where you don't have that option at larger centers that employ like a thousand doctors. And there's also companies that own community hospitals and which may operate under an entirely different model than the private practice physicians that have hospital privileges. Oh, that makes me sad. And I know it's out there. I don't know. I don't know any specifics as to, I can't point to, oh yeah, that hospital over there. Yeah. Yeah, There's something to be said too about, you mentioned the struggling hospitals and Aline mentioned the families. So when you're in this kind of family version of a company that happens to be struggling, you want to jump ship. You want to go somewhere else for the sake of yourself. But now you've created this family atmosphere where there's a lot of guilt surrounding maybe yeah. doing what's best for yeah. you when what's best for you is going to a different place, moving to a different city, getting a new job. Yeah. But yet you're seen as weak by every other person that's standing by. If the that struggling was a family, business. they would respect that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, exactly. But the problem is it's not a family. It's a business. They want <laughs> the money. Company you work for. Exactly. They should have to put that in the fine print. It's not a family, though. It's a money making family. It's like a, it's like a YouTube family. <laughs> it's an influencer family. It's like family vlogs. We Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. Should do an episode on family vlogs because those things are predatory as all heck. Like how many parents on those things have gotten busted for child abuse? Mm -hmm. Like literally getting the money. In a way it all is. I've 
there's a lot of stories out there of people that's yeah my family like basically used me Do as child a money labor tool laws when I was growing up. They don't and they need to. Like child labor yeah. laws don't apply because technically the children aren't employed. Let's just not go camera. too far in that direction. I really, <laughs> as the father of two children, I really need my children to mow the lawn and uh, do the dishes. Yeah, hey, yeah, but are you that, filming short. them doing yeah, it? Are you filming them putting and putting it on Instagram? Right, I just want to. I just want to say it's a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's also, daddy like, needs a new plasma. So. <laughs> Put them on TikTok. <laughs> uh, all I'm saying is that if your children say it's okay, that's one thing. But if you, the parent, are making the decision that I'm going to make my kid's life public, don't Yeah, don't but do that. technically, do that. kids can't consent. So yeah. even if they say it's... I mean, it, I mean so like, child, like for child sex abuse, sorry to bring up this ugly topic. Eh. If you're a physician, in all 50 states, if a child is under 18, you have to report it if they're being sexually abused. because, mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if someone comes back and says, they said it was cool and we're like... It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. It's irrelevant what they said because that's they're not, not of the capacity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think maybe well, that's, you yeah, know, similar. Kids thinking. cannot consent to being filmed. Guess what? I predict in 30 years, there's going to be a spike that like a new population of, of patients who come in specifically with, I don't know, disorders or psychiatric issues that come from wanting like retrospectively wanting to have lived a private life and their parents robbing them of that yeah and dealing with the repercussions of that having their entire life documented and never having a say in that yeah and that's happening a lot i i heard a like when i was on reddit i actually heard a story like this where a kid i think she was in her teens now and she said yeah she would get recognized and have strangers come up to her and ask her to take photos because they recognized her off of her family's youtube channel which she did not want to be on like to the point where she actually ordered like a hoodie that said please don't take photographs i don't want you to photograph me and would wear them wherever she went because otherwise she just gets strangers taking pictures of her while she's going out for a walk that's super oh. uncomfy. Yeah, it's I know so like creepy. It, it, it makes you it makes your stomach turn. But that's what I know. We're completely off topic. But I mean, we're, we're talking about agency, basically. Right. All of these topics come down to giving the person control over their lives, their destiny, how they conduct their lives, how they work, what they do. So no, it's, I realize yeah, we did go off on some tangents, but that's yeah, relevant. I just I, I just want to get it out into the if I could use my voice for something, I'm going to use it to encourage people to not monetize your children because okay. it's a scummy thing to do. What about my cats? Your cats is acceptable. That's, oh. Cats is not only acceptable, but uh, encouraged and mandatory. You know, uh, I have a new <laughs> Send me your cat You're doing pictures. a common good when you find yeah, your that, cats. That's yeah. just like common that's good for, for mental Does health. Does it have an official yeah. name? I have a new kitten. That was my awkward segue into talking about my... (laughs) (laughs) Well, what'd you go with? Her name is Pandora. (gasps) So the backstory, listeners, is that that you... The backstory that you really care about (laughs) is that I picked a name. This is my cat, supposedly. I picked a name. After consulting with my family, I picked a name that was not any of the options that were discussed. (laughs) (laughs) And then the, the, the board of executives of the Etler family called an emergency meeting and I was forced to rescind that name. And so the cat's now Pandora. What was, was the name? name? Beatrix or Trixie. Oh, I like that. What's song. wrong with that? Good. Okay, I just finished watching Harry Potter. And so I got, I got a little triggered in a bed. Oh. Is that who you were thinking? Bellatrix no, no, Strange? No, no, no. That's, where no. my, that's where my brain went as well. Although, that is also where although, my brain went. where my yeah. brain went. But I do know that Beatrix is something else. Yeah. And I forget well, what. There is a tie-in to our discussion today, which I just realized. <laughs> This name 
has been on my mind for roughly 17 years. And the reason is because before my first child was born, I ran across a baby blog about a baby blog about this little girl named Trixie, Beatrix, Trixie. And it was by this dad who was a software developer and he developed this software to keep track of everything about his daughter, everything sleeping, pooping, like diaper use. Um, and he would, and he was a data, he was also, a, I think he was also a, a data visualization guy. And he, and so he would put up all these graphs. My, my, I'm okay with this meter is like this. Go, like, I am where really, really fluctuating. fluctuating. I think it was done for, for me as a parent looking at this, it was fascinating because I had no idea what I was getting into. And yeah. so it was useful for me to see all of this stuff. But at the same time, I could see how it's very weird. And um, like, I'm pretty sure there's a Black Mirror episode with that exact premise. But okay, fair <laughs> enough. Which isn't good. That's and not I had a, a baby. Sign. I had a baby blog. Um, and You're allowed to have a baby blog. No, no, no. I had a baby blog. It was mostly tongue in cheek, but it did feature pictures of my children. Really? And all you? Tongue in cheek? I know. It's weird. <laughs> feature pictures of my children doing fun things and the usual baby blog stuff. Mm -hmm. I think now, knowing what I know now, I would not do this again. I, hopefully, it didn't cause any lasting harm to my children. Yeah. I will say, baby pictures to me is a gray area because you can't really identify someone from their baby pictures. Like when they become recognizable. Well, their names were used also. His friends found it years later. Oh, sure. And got a good laugh out of it. Yeah. Aze's cool enough. Aze's chill enough not to, not to be upset about that. But I could see how some somebody might be. Yeah, that that to me is like I think you're in the clear. But I think there's yeah. also that question of like, hey, if, if it's a blog and it's like, how big's the blog? But also, is it cool to post my kids on Instagram? Like, yeah, I don't have kids, but is it cool to post kids <laughs> a, on Instagram? Is it cool question. to have family photos? Right. Like, yeah. at, where do you draw this line of, oh, what if my Instagram's just for me sharing photos of my kids with my family? Yeah. Well, I once am, my daughter was old enough yeah. to. For instance, my daughter was old enough to express an opinion about this. Her opinion was absolutely not. Yeah. I don't want my, I don't want to be, I have to get permission now Yeah. to publish. So every picture I take that I think, oh, this is cute. And I show it to her and she's okay. Yeah. Or mm, no. There's like that culture of consent. Yeah. No, that, that's. Yeah. There's two lines to me. One is if it's like a posed picture while you're on vacation, that I think that's fine. Where it's, you're posing for a pic, you're expecting it that your parents will probably put it up somewhere. Okay. Or if the kid is, yes, I want to be on your Instagram, mommy, do it. Or daddy, do it. But yeah, if the, it's another thing if the kid is, I would much prefer you not do that. And then you're like, hey, screw you, I'm the parent. Like that's... This nah. is making me think of people I know who have foster kids. And whenever they post pictures with them, they always put like stickers over the faces yeah, you're because, not supposed yeah, to do this right you can't show the kids yeah and is so that it's against like, the law or is it just it that, is that against, might be against the law it is against the law because some of those kids are they're in the system because they're yes. trafficked yeah. also there it's just against the law because you are not yet like my understanding is you are not you, you are not yet legally able to mm -hmm. um, make decisions for your kid in that way so right. I, I don't Probably even know so. if putting like a that yellow walmart smiley face just picture picture that i don't know if putting that over their face and posting it is even okay but in, in some of these cases then i've seen people go on to adopt the kids and all of a sudden that's gone yeah and like why couldn't we just do that for all kids if if you want to yeah. post those family photos but leave them unidentifiable they become a smiley face i, yeah. I don't know like but i then, okay. but then i have a question about this actually <laughs> okay go ahead thank, thank you, you for laughing at that i thought that was solid that was solid <laughs> solid thank joke Elaine. i love you. it good work Elaine. good question work. does our opinion on the because now i'm like in my head questioning my hardline stance and in everyone's opinion does it change things if your instagram slash tiktok slash youtube channel 
is monetized. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Absolutely. things are different between public and private. Yeah. Social media and monetizing. I think yeah. the trickiest situation is the people who will create an Instagram for their unborn child <laughs> in preparation <laughs> yes. for monetization for of yeah. that yet to be born yeah because mm-hmm. i think that's a lot like it's one thing to be like look at my adorable child another thing is to be like pay me to look at my adorable yes. child that adds on your adorable child adds on my adorable child instagram hawk quip toothbrushes for me child <laughs> <laughs> me undies well, all those yeah. <laughs> uh big fan by the way um <laughs> Yeah, no shit. Not today, but uh, not a sponsor. But um, <laughs> when, like, when you talked about vacation, some of my concerns come. Like, I know people who have kids in competitive dance. Oh yeah, and I it, do that. Yeah, like you, you enjoy it. You can take you, uh, photos, but then when you can you, uh, do I cannot. A little... I know <laughs> when, when you start she posting those. She knew people. Oh. Well, I I was in competitive dance. Oh, oh, I was in dance for yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Wait, who who among us is in competitive I'm dance? I'm doing my tap dancing right now. <laughs> not not um, I. If, if not you me, know yeah. the culture of dance competitions, some studios are very strict on we keep our girls covered. Yeah. And they don't wear like two-piece costumes that are basically a bra on top. And then others, they start that at three years old. Yeah. Interesting. And so I start to have mixed feelings when people are posting their kids dancing at five years old in like booty shorts and basically a bra because if they have more people on their friends list than are just their friends those photos can be saved and reposted other places yeah and yes and that is a concern that i eventually had with the the baby block and i understand do we need to shape what we do because there are bad people out there that's a hard thing yeah. to like it, balance and understand yeah. but like it's this the kind is of the thing where it's like is that moral but should you be careful absolutely like you can't change that these threats are still out there yeah. and it, like, it's it's, it's your, your child you're potentially having this out there before they have a say that mm-hmm. their picture that can potentially be posted anywhere else is there yeah yeah you say that because i distinctly remember you're so right because i distinctly remember moving to a different dance company for a while and one of the first costumes i was in when i was like 11 was like one of those booty short bralette with like yellow tassels on it and i was like i'd never been in a two-piece costume before that kind of made me uncomfortable and i'm very glad that my mom was not a social media person and that Mm -hmm. i don't have a ton of pictures of that particular outfit circulating because that would make me very uncomfortable also dance studios (laughs) maybe just don't do that because it's weird uh have have a good teacher because some of some dance teachers are just like mentally abusive oh absolutely yeah yeah I actually like that dance teacher. I just question her costume decision. Like all coaches ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it it all comes down to intent and outcome in terms of how exploitative the activity is. Mm-hmm. I, I can see the argument on both sides. Some people just want to share about their lives and share about their families in a non-financially driven way. But when there's money to be earned, that does change things completely. Because yeah. y- you now... It's not a family relationship. It's a business relationship. And mm-hmm. that child, in a way, or the you know, the subject of these pictures, is the argument could be made that they're entitled to compensation. I think and that it's be. a form of traffic. I just made this connection. Posting pictures of kids for money. 
I've connected them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a form of trafficking because those kids aren't getting paid as far as we know. Maybe they're getting toys bought with that money or whatever. It's it's all 100% going to their college fund. Every every one, oh, college. Absolutely. 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 But the fact yeah. that we just bought two new cars has nothing to do with our YouTube channel. I promise. <laughs> we, we, set up, we set up a oh, trust no, with this else. money, or we did a lot yeah. of work to set up the photo. So it's like, where's the value in the subject? <laughs> <laughs> We're just recouping our. We investment. are the photographers yeah. here, and so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there, it is slippery too because you will get down that road when you start monetizing even things that are innocent. Where it's look at our fun yeah. family vacation. Like I remember watching a video. It was a video talking about a different YouTube channel. YouTube is weird, but like these parents were like sharing. It started off innocent enough, but then the parents started ooh. The more like intimate details are what get the most views. Mm-hmm. So she, there were videos on there of like my daughter's first time shaving her legs, or I'm giving the talk to my 13 year old, and those were oh on, god, oh, yeah, those cringe. were on their channel and monetized, and like their faces weren't blurred or anything. Like the kids were on camera the whole time. So here's the dark reality I have to put to everyone: whatever you're putting on the internet, you have to be prepared for someone to be doing a terrible thing while looking at those pictures. Yes. And I think we all know what I'm talking about. Yes. Because that does happen. People who buy Maxim aren't doing it for the articles, right? <laughs> I don't know if Maxim is still a thing. When they had Britney Spears posing on the cover of Maxim when she was 19, still technically a teenager, like yeah. just barely legal. People do countdowns for female for eight, celebrities yeah. turning 18. Which is disgusting. Because that's what's stopping you from <laughs> yeah. having a sexual. It's simply sure, the number. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, because so. 17 and 364 days, totally different than eight. Yeah, completely. You, that night you go to bed, you wake up. Exactly. Adult. Yeah, <laughs> completely different. Your Complete. whole brain has changed. You are now responsible and will never make a mistake again. Never. Yeah. So there's, I hear, I appreciated the argument Nicole was making. And the analogy I thought of when you were saying that is if forks can be used to stab people, should we just ban forks? Like society would fall apart without forks. So like we need them, but then how do you- I mean, it wouldn't, but- (laughs) We can eat with our hands. That is the quote. (laughs) Chopsticks. Okay, fair enough. Hot takes. It's a flawed analogy, but you know, like every implement, every technology in society has potential to be used positively or negatively. And then you have to strike the balance. This can be used for nefarious reasons. Should we have it mm-hmm. at all? It's a hard question that we all we grappled with. I think. Yeah. Very thoughtfully today. So what if we learned today? We've learned that forks are what's holding the civilization afloat. <laughs> it's the linchpin of Am everything. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Prove me wrong. And if we oh. if we start to have just a rapid increase of murders with forks, we'll probably lose them. Wait, before we, we go. We should switch to sports. And before we, we go. Much less Wait, yes. before we go. I know we're trying to wrap up the podcast, but before we go, may I share a fun fork fact? Fork <laughs> <laughs> fact. Fork Yeah. Um, and I'm going to get the countries wrong, so apologies, but the fork was apparently like no one used it in Western Europe up until like, I think it was like the 1400s. And when I think it was a Russian princess, I forget, but she had her wedding and she brought in forks because they'd been using them at that point at like over in Eastern Europe and in other places. And a bunch of people who were at the wedding actually denounced the use of forks, saying that like... God has given us the natural fork, our fingers, so to use an <laughs> instrument to replace them. Were they, like, they cut their rep- nails to a point? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they feel like their civil liberties were being violated by being made to use forks. Yeah, no, yeah. that's the story. There was actual religious resistance to using the fork. <laughs> so in case this you is how we know. This is how we know that the, the forks are an abomination. The yeah, human forks species. are an affront to God. We <laughs> always we always push back. The first change. technology revolution. <laughs> the human species is such a rational oh organism. Wow. I learned something new today. That's our show. That's a, that's a fork fact for yeah. you. Fun fork fact. Fun Al- fork fact. <laughs> Aline, Nicole, Miranda, Riley, thank you for being on the show with me today. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Go look fixedly at Riley so that she... It's <laughs> like contact. waiting for... Yeah, what's her last name again? What? <laughs> One more time. Being... Yep. What kind of disengaged employee would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe. Oh, it was introduced to Europe in the 10th century by the Byzantine wife of Emperor Otto II. That's what we were looking for. <laughs> I, I said 14th. It was the 10th century by a Byzantine empress. All right. That's all. Our editors are AJ Chowdhury and Eric Bozart. Alex Belzer is our marketing coordinator. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by... Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Take care of your forks. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but In my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you, and I'm glad you're here, and other people are too.